Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teachatluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. I think this is episode 268. And this podcast episode contains everything that you should know about the general election, which is happening across the UK this Thursday, the 7th of May 2015. Now, I know that this could be a long episode, but I'm so determined to cover the whole story that I don't mind how long it takes. Okay, it's going to take as long as it takes. All right. I feel that it's worth spending some time to cover this topic in enough detail to make it genuinely interesting and informative. I'm not there in the UK at the moment. I'm not there. So I'm not able to take part in the discussions with people or watch all the coverage on TV. But I care about this a lot, as I'm sure you can understand. And I've just got to get this stuff off my chest. Um, which means I've just got lots of things inside that I, I really want to tell you about. Um, this is a really important election, just like any election, really. And it's interesting because we genuinely don't know what's going to happen. And the consequences of the different outcomes could be quite drastic, in fact. Um, voting in the election is on May the 7th. That is uh, election day. Uh, but I've already voted, in fact. Um, I did it by post. Yes, that is possible in the UK. You can vote by post uh, if you're not there. So basically, I kind of registered online um, and um, registered to vote by post. And they sent me my ballot paper through the post with a special envelope. And uh, I've completed my ballot paper and I sent it. Um, so I've already voted. And no, I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. That's private. Um, I, but I will let you try and work out who I voted for, if you want to. If you if you want to try and work it out, you can speculate, but I'm not actually going to tell you who I voted for. Um, now, uh, I was on TV last week talking about this... Le- uh, the, yes, um, that people invited me on TV, even though sometimes uh, I can't actually speak. Uh, I was on television last week talking about this election. Um, and to be honest, I wish that I'd been as prepared then as I am now, uh, because now I feel prepared. But on TV last week, it was a bit of a surprise. I wasn't completely prepared. Um, But it was a live TV debate on a channel called France 24, which is one of those sort of 24-hour news channels. Uh, You can get it in many countries around the world. In fact, some of you, in fact, I know that one or two of you actually saw me on the TV, which must have been uh, a fun surprise. Um, so they invited me on at the last minute, basically, because they needed a guest who was British and who was able to talk about the election. Now, I knew a few things about it because I've been covering this topic in my classes this year. Um, and 
also last year too. So I agreed to go on the show. And also I think they were interested in having a comedian on the show. And so they ended up, uh, they ended up with Luke from Luke's English podcast in the studio. Uh, so two hours after receiving an invitation, I was on live television. And yes, I did manage to plug Luke's English podcast. I did get a mention in of the podcast, um, as well as suggesting to President Francois Hollande, that's the the president of France, I'm, I suggested to uh, Francois Hollande that he take English lessons with me. So, Francois, if you're listening, which I know that you are because everyone listens to this, all the heads of state, all the powerful people around the world, they all listen to this. So if you are listening, Francois, then, of course, the offer is still open. OK, just get in touch with me through the website. You can find my contact details there. Just check teacherluke.co.uk and look at the menu and you'll find a little button that says contact. You can send me a message. OK, um, I did OK in the TV debate, although I was a little bit unprepared. But now, after having dealt with this subject in class a few times this week already, and after having done more reading and research and preparation, I feel like uh, I'm even more prepared. And actually, I have a good grasp of the situation. Uh, Certainly good enough to be able to explain it to you here now in this podcast, clearly and simply. Okay, that is my challenge in this episode to get across the complex facts and issues relating to this election in an understandable and engaging way. Okay, that's my challenge. Your challenge is just to try and follow everything I'm saying step by step. Okay, Um, the end result should be that you're more well informed about this significant moment in British life. And I'm sure that you're going to pick up plenty of language in the process as well. Um, You'll be glad to know that you can read a lot of what I'm saying here on the page for this episode at teacherluke.co.uk. I think this is episode 268. Uh, If you want to follow this, read these words, repeat them yourself, check some of the vocabulary in a dictionary or whatever studying method you have, you can do it. Um, Not every word I'm saying is transcribed, as I might Uh, improvise and go off script from time to time. But the main content of what I'm saying is certainly there for you to read at teacherluke.co.uk. All right. So uh, I'd just like to say this subject is relevant to you. Okay. You You might not think the subject is particularly relevant to you, but I would like to try and persuade you here and now that it is Okay, Uh, why is this subject relevant to you? Well, first of all, the UK remains one of the world's most important countries. It's it's might not be up there in the top five economies, but it's certainly um, a significant and important nation. Um, What happens in the UK is in the interests of the whole world, just in the same way that, you know, what happens in these big events in any country is um, within the interests of everyone else, because we're all related. Um, If you're in a European country, it's particularly relevant because what happens in this election could dictate the UK's relationship with the European Union, including steps towards our exit from the Union. So it's particularly relevant if you're in the EU. Um, Also, this election is fascinating because we really don't know what's going to happen. Usually it's pretty obvious. Normally, you know, it's pretty clear which party's going to win, but not this time. 
It could result also in big changes to the UK's constitution, including, as I said, our possible exit from Europe, Scotland's exit from the UK, uh, a fairly significant social and economic change of direction for the country, and changes to the way that our government operates within Parliament. Um, Is this the end of an age in UK politics? Maybe. Maybe. Um, So I think it is relevant to anyone interested in significant events beyond their borders. And I imagine that if you're a listener to this podcast, then you probably have some curiosity or some kind of relationship or interest in what's happening in the UK, which could make you want to know more about this big moment. Um, Also, I imagine that it's a little bit difficult for you to sort of get an overall understanding of the complexities and the details of this moment. But my plan, as I've said in this episode, is to just give it to you straight. So all you'll need is all you'll need to do is listen to this episode and that's going to give you all the information that you could want about um, this moment. Okay. Um, So this is the number one story in the UK at the moment. There's a huge buzz about the election in the newspapers, on TV, all over the internet. It is the big story. Uh, Much bigger than the birth of the second royal baby, by the way, which happened on Saturday. Um, And they uh, they named the child yesterday, uh, the daughter, Kate Middleton and um, Prince William. Yes, they had a daughter. And they called her Charlotte Elizabeth Diana. Um, so there you go. So, so I've, I had to mention that at the beginning. Um, so that's a fairly well-known story at the moment, but the election is bigger. So in this episode, I will explain the main details and nuances of the election story specifically for you as a non-native speaker and possible, uh, resident of another country. So I'll, I'm directing this specifically to you, uh, so you can understand all of its detail and significance. Um, as I said, uh, oh, and, and as if that wasn't enough, you'll also get plenty of vocabulary, um, because I'm, you know, talking to people who I know don't speak English as a first language, so I will be explaining certain key things as we go. Um, you'll also have the opportunity to hear, Uh, to directly hear the leaders of seven political parties in the UK. You're actually going to hear them talking. Uh, That's seven different voices from seven key uh, different figures in this election, including one Scottish accent and one Welsh accent. Um, And at the end of this episode, you'll be far more informed about British politics than you were at the beginning. And we all know that knowledge is power. Um, You may be able to impress people with your ability to chat about UK politics if that opportunity arises in your life. Honestly, uh, I'm often surprised at how little people understand politics, including fellow British people that I meet. Um, And in my opinion, I think everyone benefits when we engage in politics in some way. I'm certainly not cynical about this subject, and I definitely do not find it boring. Um, Cynicism about politics um, is dangerous, I think, because if we don't care about politics and we ignore the subject, then it doesn't go away. It just gets dominated by people who do care about it. And often that means people with extreme or fringe ideas. So let's engage in politics because it's not only fascinating if you give it a chance, but it's also vitally important. Okay, so are you convinced? I hope so. I hope that I'm managing to convince you here because that was my big sales pitch at the beginning of this episode, my big effort to try and convince you. All right. So um, 
The election, when is it? Well, it's on Thursday, as I said, just a couple of days away. So, in fact, by the time you listen to this, the voting will probably have finished and there will probably be some kind of new government in power in the UK. Uh, Many of you may be listening to this even ages and ages after the event, uh, because I know that, you know, people catch up on episodes, you know, after they've been published. So um, I still think that it's relevant, even if uh, even some time after the election, because it'll give you insight into not only the background story of what happened in May 2015 and the context of what's going on in the UK at the moment, but it should also help to explain events that are happening in the future. It's interesting, this podcasting thing, because I'm talking about things happening now, and you may be listening to them much later uh, in the future. So who knows, the, the things I'm saying now might allow you to kind of get a better grip on what's happening in the future. So I'm talking to you in the future, some of you, uh, which is cool. I think you'll agree. Um, so context, let's have a look at some of the context here. Um, let's look at the last five or 10 years in UK politics. Okay. Uh, let's go back in time a little bit. Um, traditionally, the UK has been dominated by two political parties. What are their names? Do you know? Of course, we've got the Conservatives on the right and Labour on the left. I say Conservatives are right and Labour are left. Um, there's a bit of grey area. There's a bit of crossover. To some extent, Labour are kind of, uh, you know, centre. It's, it's, they're quite close to the centre, but generally the Conservatives are on the right, Labour on the left. Um, now, we're seeing a much more diverse set of parties at the moment who not only represent different positions on the political spectrum from left to right, but also different regions in the UK. So that's the story now, that we're moving away from the two-party system into a much more sort of plural uh, system. And this is a story, this story of this election is not just about left and right, but it's also about England and Scotland, and also, to, to a certain extent, uh, Wales and Northern Ireland. So it's not just about left and right, it's also about different regions and the way that the regions in the UK are sort of affecting uh, politics. It could be the end of the two-party system. And it could be the end of uh, the centralisation of Westminster politics. Um, so let's just have a reminder of some basics about politics in the UK. All right. Now, I have done episodes that touched on politics in the past. So I've mentioned some of this stuff before, but maybe it's going to work as a general reminder just to help with the context. So the whole of the UK and of course that's England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, the whole of the UK is divided into areas which are called constituencies, okay? The constituencies are political areas of the country. Each constituency, um, uh, the people who live in each constituency vote for uh, an MP, that's a member of parliament, to represent that constituency in the House of Commons, which is in parliament, which is in Westminster, which is in London, which is in England, which is in Britain, which is in the UK. All right. So you've got constituencies. uh, People vote for uh, a member of parliament that will represent that constituency in parliament in in London. All right. Uh, So each constituency has a seat in the House of Commons. And there are 650 seats for 650 constituencies in the House of Commons. You know the House of Commons. 
Uh, it's in the Palace of Westminster, or the Houses of Parliament, as it's sometimes called. You know that because it's in London. If you've ever been to London or seen pictures of London, you've probably seen the Houses of Parliament. Uh, there's a large tower, which you know, Big Ben, right? The big clock tower, every hour, dong, bong, bong, you know, Big Ben. That's the Houses of Parliament. Within the Houses of Parliament, there are two large chambers, the House of Commons, where all the MPs sit, and then the House of Lords, where the Lords sit. I'm not talking about Lords today because they don't, they're not really related, not really affected directly by this general election. So House of Commons, 650 seats, for 650 areas in the UK or constituencies, okay? So each seat is occupied by an MP, Member of Parliament, who represents his or her constituency. And that includes the Prime Minister, the members of the Cabinet, that's ministers for different ministries, such as the Ministry of Education and so on, uh, and members of the opposition. They're all, uh, they all represent different constituencies around the country, all right? So... Those MPs, of course, belong to different parties, and that includes the main ones, Conservatives, who uh, over the last five years had 302 seats, Labour, who had 256 seats, and Liberal Democrats, who had 56 seats, and also other ones with smaller numbers of seats, particularly parties that represent specific interests of other nations in the UK, such as the Democratic Unionist Party and Sinn Féin from Northern Ireland, the Scottish National Party from Scotland, and Plaid Cymru from Wales. Okay, So the, main, the, the most dominant parties um, are the Conservatives, Labour and, and uh, Liberal Democrats, who don't have a specific regional focus, although they tend to be a bit English-centric. Uh, just because England is the biggest nation, really. Uh, but then there are other parties that represent the, the, the interests of, you know, different regions and also different sort of fringe ideas on the edges of the political spectrum. Like, for example, you have the Green Party, who are generally a bit, you know, quite probably the most left wing uh, major party we have. And then we've got UKIP, the United Kingdom Independence Party, who are uh, a sort of uh, fairly extreme kind of right wing anti-immigration, anti Europe party. So, okay, so we have MPs in the House of Commons for different, uh, from different constituencies representing different parties. Okay, so those MPs vote on laws that affect the whole of the UK. All right. After the laws have been passed and given royal assent by the Queen, that's right, the, the laws have to be passed in, in House of Commons, in the House of Lords, and eventually uh, they go to the, to the palace and the Queen basically stamps them, yes, that's fine. I don't think she actually does it herself. I'm sure it's some other civil servant who works in the, the in Buckingham Palace. But basically, the laws are given the royal assent, and then they are applied in England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. But um, thanks to a process of decentralization of government power, which is called devolution. That's that's a process that, that's been going on uh, over the last sort of, what, 10, 15, 20 years uh, of uh, moving power away from the central base in Westminster and giving power away to Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. So thanks to this process of decentralization, which is called devolution, Okay, Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland have their own parliaments, which have a certain amount of independent power. Okay, they can adapt 
some of the laws from Westminster, and they can write some new laws which apply only to those regions. And this is particularly true in Scotland, which has more power than the other, uh, the other three uh, nations outside of England. Um, England doesn't have a devolved parliament like the other countries. We just take laws from Westminster unchanged. And this, um, uh, this arrangement has been relatively problem-free for England because the number of MPs uh, from the other three countries in Westminster has been quite low. So it's not really a big deal. The laws made by all of the MPs, um, they don't really need to be changed because they're quite relevant to England. But um, if this year the Scottish National Party, for example, gets lots of votes, it means that the number of SNP MPs could rise by about 40 to 50 seats. And that means that suddenly a lot of English laws are being voted on by Scottish nationalists. Do you see? Um, that that means that, you know, a, a fairly large proportion of uh, Scottish nationalists will be deciding on what happens in England. And England won't have the right to adapt or change those laws. That's a bit odd, isn't it? Um, and that is making some English MPs sort of freak out a little bit, particularly the Conservatives. Do you understand that? Do you understand that that thing that I just mentioned? Don't worry if that's a bit complex. It might make a bit more sense later when we come back to that idea. But basically, just to sort of put it in a nutshell, this is going to be a big year for the Scottish National Party, and they will probably have a much bigger presence in Parliament than ever before, and that is going to make a big difference to the way that government is run in the UK, particularly for the English. Uh, the English might decide that they want the same level of control over specific laws that the Scots, the Welsh and the Northern Irish have. Uh, the Scots will have a lot more influence this year. So it's a big time for uh, the Scottish National Party. Um, okay, so what happened in the last election? What happened last time, 2010? Let's have a look at that. So to form a majority government, okay, uh, to form a, a majority government, one party needs to get at least 326 seats in Commons. Basically, to get a seat, then that MP needs to win his his uh, election race in his constituency. So if you can imagine in each constituency, you've got candidates from different parties and they, uh, you know, the people who live in that constituency will vote for those, for the candidate they want. That candidate, if they win, then goes to Westminster. All right. Um, now, I could go into the details, the complexities of the first past the post system, Maybe it's just enough for me to say that um, it's more about constituencies than it's about votes. Okay, it's more about winning constituencies than about getting the overall number of votes. For example, the Conservatives could get more votes overall, but if they don't win more constituencies, then uh, then they won't uh, get a majority. Okay. All right. Okay. That's because some of the constituencies have more people in them. So, for example, if you win lots of small constituencies, that means you get more seats, even though on balance, fewer people voted for you. All right. So anyway, to form a majority government, one party needs to get at least 326 seats in commons. Okay, that's 326 out of 650. That's what a party needs in order to just form a majority government on its own. For example, in 1997, Tony Blair's Labour Party, remember Tony Blair? His Labour Party in 1997 won 418 
seats. 418 seats, which is a big victory. Um, and a big victory like that is known as a landslide victory. Okay, so Tony Blair, his Labour Party famously won a landslide victory after basically uh, everyone was fed up with the Conservatives, the old, grey, boring, uh, outdated Conservatives who we'd had in government for years since Margaret Thatcher in 1979. And Tony Blair came along with a new solution, which is a, a new sort of moderate uh, Labour Party. He called it New Labour. It was cool and groovy and he kind of, he was young and charismatic and he played the guitar and he was friends with Bill Clinton and Tony Blair and Bill Clinton got together and they had a jam session with Bill Clinton on the saxophone and Tony Blair on the guitar and it was like having a cool sort of young, hip, groovy uh, 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 leader. So, okay, so everyone voted Labour. Not everyone, but lots of people voted Labour and they won a big landslide victory. With 418 seats, they assembled a majority government that enjoyed a lot of support from the public at the beginning. Um, Labour won the next election too, five years later. Um, elections happen generally every five years in the UK. Okay, So Labour won the next election, election too. But then in the end, Blair lost a lot of public support. We suddenly, After a while, we decided we didn't like Tony Blair, mainly because he chose to get involved in the Iraq war in 2003 against public opinion. Most people in the country didn't want the UK to go to war in Iraq. We felt it was a bad idea. We felt it was somehow dishonest. Uh, and yet Tony Blair um, um, chose to do it. Uh, people generally decided that with George Bush, I'd say most people, not everyone, some people thought that Tony Blair was right, but a lot of people decided that with George Bush, Tony Blair had lied about his intentions for going to war in the Middle East. He said it was about weapons of mass destruction that Saddam Hussein was a threat to the rest of the world because he had access to, you know, nuclear weapons. Uh, and it became clear after various investigations and so on, it became clear that that wasn't actually true and that it was more about imperialism and a struggle for oil and power in the Middle East. Um, in the end, Blair stepped down. He, he resigned, he stepped down, and he was replaced by another Labour member of Parliament called Gordon Brown. Uh, Gordon Brown. Gordon, not Gordon Brown. There's no... I mean, there may be another person in the universe called Gordon Brown, but he wasn't involved. Okay, no. Uh, Gordon Brown is the guy who replaced Tony Blair, another Labour Party M uh, MP. He was the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer at the time, the Finance Minister. And he was an imposing Scottish uh, guy who specialised in economics, and he was a bit more socialist in nature than Tony Blair, and yet he wasn't quite as presentable or charismatic. He had one eye, in fact. I don't know. It's not really funny, to be honest. Poor bloke. He lost an eye. Um, but it somehow was important because it just meant that he was less engaging. There was something that uh, people were like, what's wrong? Oh, he's got a, he's got a glass eye. And it wasn't a big deal, really, but it's just a detail. He had a glass eye. And also, he, he just wasn't very good with the media. He was unable to fake a smile on live TV. It was always quite in, uncomfortable to watch him in debates, attempting to be charismatic and warm and friendly. And he couldn't really do it. I mean, I didn't mind. I don't mind if the, if the Prime Minister is a grumpy man, as long as he gets the job done. But anyway, after a damaging power struggle 
within the party, uh, Gordon Brown took over. Basically, Brown and Blair originally set up New Labour, that's the sort of the, the new version of the Labour Party, which eventually won the election in 1997. Brown and Blair together helped to set up New Labour in the 90s. And they had an agreement that Blair would, first of all, be the leader and Gordon Brown would be the finance minister. And that after something like eight years, if they were still in government, Blair would then step aside and let Brown have a go at leadership. I think that was their agreement that they had with each other. But then when it came down to it, um, I think Blair didn't want to give up the leadership. In fact, if, if we can learn one thing from this episode, one universal thing, it's that power is massively seductive and that when power is within reach, people will be willing to change even their most important principles in order to get it. Don't forget that. That's an important idea. And we will see when it comes down to the period after the election, there'll be lots of negotiating and people changing their positions in order to try and access that all-important seductive position of power. Um, so in the end, Blair... A bit like at the end of Lord of the Rings, he didn't like the way Frodo doesn't want to throw the ring away, even though he promised to everyone he's going to throw the ring away. He, he, he's, he's been seduced by its power. He doesn't want to get rid of it in the same way. Maybe Tony Blair didn't want to give up the uh, the pr uh, premiership, the, the, the position of prime minister. Um, and so there was a power struggle. And in the end... Um, uh, after this internal struggle within the party, a uh, very divisive struggle, uh, Gordon Brown won and he became prime minister and Tony Blair stepped down. But it did leave the Labour Party fairly divided and a bit broken. Uh, Tony Blair is now genuinely, Tony Blair is now generally disliked by people um, because of the Iraq war and because they consider him to be a liar. Uh, Gordon Brown was also pretty unpopular, to be to be honest. He didn't really have the same charisma or charm of Blair, and he was uh, prime minister at the time of the economic crash. So a lot of people blame him or associate him and Labour for the big financial uh, mess that occurred around 2008-2009. Okay, uh, in 2010, it was time for another election. Okay, and at that time, there was a lot of voter apathy. And there still is. And voter apathy basically is the feeling among voters that voting is a waste of time and effort. It's like people are, oh, I don't want to vote. That's what people feel. Like, oh, God, I don't want to vote. They, none of them stand up for my, my views. All the candidates are basically the same. They all lie. They don't keep their promises. They're all corrupt and they just seek power and they don't really have our interests at heart. So I'm not going to vote. I'm going to protest against it by not voting. So that's voter apathy. And there was a lot of that uh, last time, and there still is. Uh, that meant that uh, we had a fairly low voter turnout. That means not many people came out to vote at the election. And also the nation wasn't particularly passionate about one candidate in particular in the last election. The three main candidates that we had were uh, David Cameron of the Conservatives, who is now the Prime Minister, uh, Gordon Brown of Labour, who I've just mentioned, Nick Clegg of the Liberal Democrats, who is still the leader of the Liberal Democrats. And none of them did particularly well. None of them shone very brightly. 
Uh, and neither Conservatives nor Labour got the magic 326 seats that they needed to form a majority government. So neither of them were able to form a majority government. So the negotiations began. Now, what negotiations, you might be thinking? Well, the negotiations to form a coalition government. Uh, what is a coalition government? Well, this is when several parties get together and form a sort of joint government. They make an agreement and they go into government together. Usually, a smaller party will join a bigger one if they can agree on certain policy ideas and and an agenda for government that sort of suits the both par both parties, okay? So usually a smaller party will prop up or support a larger party in order to allow them to, to, to form a government. And this involves the usual things that you would expect from a negotiation. Conditions being set, concessions being made, trading power, you know, powers being traded and so on. Um, so... Uh, what happened? Well, this is where we turn our attention to the Conservatives, okay? Because it was the Tories, or the Conservatives. Tories, that's the nickname of the Conservatives, all right? It was the Conservatives, or the Tories, and the Liberal Democrats who made a deal and formed the Conservative Lib Dem coalition. Lib Dem, that's Liberal Democrat. So the the Tories and the Lib Dems formed a coalition which has been in government for the last five years in the UK, uh, they managed to make an agreement. Uh, they came into power when the UK was suffering a very large budget deficit. We're still suffering a large budget budget deficit, but it was particularly large at that point. Uh, you know what a budget deficit is, don't you? This means that basically the country didn't have enough money to pay for everything. Um, so we were in negative figures on our uh, finance record. Uh, and this was as a result of the financial crisis, basically. Uh, the, the conservative solution to the budget deficit was to introduce sweeping austerity measures. Austerity measures, that basically means spending cuts, cutting public spending, stopping, like, you know, the government stops spending money on public services. We call it spending cuts or austerity measures. Sweeping is a word that just means widespread, broad cuts across many aspects of uh, public uh, services and public life. Okay, so that was the conservative solution to the financial crisis. Stop spending money, uh, austerity measures, spending cuts, save money and, you know, stop spending money on public services. This is one of the key policies of the conservatives. And, and it's one of the key things about their ideology. It's a really important thing that you need to know about the Conservatives, that this is their ideology and their approach to the economy. Uh, stop spending money on social services. That means cutting welfare payments or cutting benefits given to people in society who need help or anything really that the state pays for. So the Conservatives are all about small government, reducing the, the, the influence of the government on people's lives, uh, spending less on public services and as a way of trying to save money. The logic there is that the state can save money by spending less on its people. Um, also, what they want to do is, is try and remove what they consider to be a safety net that people have in their lives as a way of trying to make sure that people... Um, Get off their get off their bums and actually go out and work. So, for the conservatives, um, they look at people in unemployed situations, people who don't have jobs or people who are struggling in their lives, 
And their solution is that these people need to be given the opportunity and given the encouragement and the and the right uh, conditions to be able to sort of take control of their own lives and start working and find jobs and then, you know, get a sense of personal empowerment in their lives. And how are the Conservatives going to do this? Well, they'll take away some of the services for example, if you lose your job in the UK and you um, you lose your job, then the government will look after you. They'll pay you some money. It's called unemployment benefit. And they'll pay you some money if you don't have a job so that you can still buy food and pay for your house and all that stuff. Okay, It's not a lot of money. It's really not a lot. But it's enough for you to survive on. Okay, Now, for the Conservatives, some some Conservatives believe that this is bad for people. That if you give people this option, this safety net that they're just going to lie around and be lazy and they're not going to go out and work hard and try and, you know, push themselves out of that position, that somehow it's bad for people because it encourages laziness, okay? And so what they want to do is get rid of that safety net and that will push people into work and give people a sense of empowerment. But at the same time, by getting rid of the safety net, the Conservatives are saving money, which helps to balance the budget, okay? Um, but at the same time, the Conservatives wanted and continue to want to reduce taxes for the rich and allow businesses to flourish. So, for example, if you've got, you know, businesses or corporations, big ones, small ones, whatever, if you want these businesses to be successful, you remove the barriers to those businesses. So you, you take away some of the taxation that is applied to businesses and you, you, you smooth the path towards business success. You allow businesses to flourish, to be successful, especially in the financial sector. For example, the banks, particularly in London, because in London, we've got a very important, very large financial centre. We call it the city. It's a, it's a square mile in uh, just to the eastern part of central London. And that's where we have lots of banks and lots of financial institutions. OK, so for the for the Conservatives, it's about encouraging the financial sector don't tax corporations too harshly. Don't tax the banks or businesses too much. Let them thrive. And if businesses are successful in a country, then there will be wealth, there will be growth, and money will, will sort of pour in to the, to the economy from the top. Uh, uh, the companies will, will benefit by making profits. And if there's wealth at the top end of society, then that will eventually benefit everyone in society because the money will come trickling down from top to bottom like a magical waterfall and it will lead to job creation uh, and more people will have spending power and everything will be wonderful. Okay, so this is the Tory plan. Cut public spending, promote the private sector and everyone will benefit. Okay, that's the idea. What, it, what some people criticise some people criticise the Conservatives for, for basically looking after the rich and looking after the interests of the rich and not being sympathetic to the poor. All right. Now, the Liberal Democrats in joining the Conservatives in that coalition last time, they basically moved to the right because the Conservatives are a bit right wing and the Liberal Democrats were sort of in the centre to the left of the Tories. So the Liberal Democrats had to make concessions to, to, to join the coalition in order to get some power. Liberal Democrats very rarely get any power. So for them, it was a great opportunity to make a difference. And so they were willing to make some concessions and move the party to the right a little bit. So the Liberal Democrats moved away from the left in order to get into government. 
You see that? See what I mean? They 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 were willing to um, they were willing to um, change their uh, ideology a little bit because it was an opportunity to get that much coveted power. All right, it's all about getting power in politics. It's all about the opportunity to form a government. That's the bottom line. Uh, Nick Clegg. The leader of the Liberal Democrats justified this move to the to the right by promising to protect certain key things. So he had certain sort of red line policies that he wanted to protect. And he assured the public that it would be his responsibility to protect these uh, specific uh, principles. One of those was tuition fees, for example. Tuition fees, that's basically the money that you have to pay to go to university in the UK. Right, so Nick Clegg made a big deal. Out, uh, uh, he made a very big song and dance about the fact that he would protect tuition fees because it's important that people, young people, can go to university without having to borrow lots of money. What happened? Well, um, he failed his promise, and the government did raise tuition fees. In fact, generally. The coalition has been bad for Nick Clegg because he's had to compromise lots of his principles and he keeps having to apologise for it. He's been apologising for the last five years. Um, Do you know how much it costs to go to university in the UK? Well, it's at least, uh, and this is if you're from the UK, it's even more expensive if you're a foreign student, but if you're uh, a UK citizen... You want to go to university, it's going to cost you at least £9,000 a year. At least £9,000 a year. So, you know, it's like uh, most university courses are three years long. So what's three times nine is what, £27,000 minimum. That's just to pay for the course. You also will have to pay for your food, your housing, uh, all your books and everything else. So... um, This is clearly a a big deal. I mean, if you're a a foreign student, it's even higher, as you may well know. Uh, But um, yeah, so so Nick Clegg failed to control tuition fees, and at the moment they're now they're nine thousand pounds a year um, at least. Um, And uh, the Conservatives probably will raise them again if they get the opportunity. You can see what we're dealing with here, because the Conservatives value the private sector; they value competition. But what happens is that the uh, profit starts dominating everything and things get a little bit out of control. Um, so, so where was I? Um, okay, so Nick Clegg apologising for uh, his mistakes. Yes. So the conservative liberal coalition that we've had for the last five years went ahead with large spending cuts. They have proceeded with their programme of austerity measures, cutting back on public services. Lots of people in the UK protested against the cuts, saying that it was unfair and that the Conservatives only cared about the rich and they didn't care about ordinary working people. And they had a point, you know, because, um, you know, they had a point about that, I, I would say. I mean, you know, maybe the Conservatives... Maybe you could argue that the Conservative plan is working because apparently the UK's economy is growing faster than, than most of the other uh, economies that were suffering uh, as, a, as a result of the financial crisis, that the, the British economy apparently is growing. Um, anyway, austerity, 
has been the big word of this government, spending cuts. For many people, particularly those in working class or poor communities, though, this was pretty bad news because suddenly they had fewer services, longer hospital waiting times, and so on. So austerity, austerity, austerity. This is the word of the moment. The Tories say, the Tories say in their defence, we have a long-term plan for the economy and it's tough but necessary spending cuts. And maybe they're right, because according to lots of analysts, as I just said, the UK's economy has had more growth than most other countries in Europe. And maybe it's been working, but it's unclear, to be honest, if this growth is due to the Tory spending cuts or if it would have happened anyway. I mean, maybe there are macroeconomic factors which are beyond the control of the Tories, which mean that the UK's economy would grow out of recession quickly anyway. Um, and that if any, if they cared more about communities, then people would generally be happier and quality of life would be better. It's difficult to know. It's difficult to know why the UK economy is is uh, growing. Um, and and even if it is growing anyway, because you know you can I can I'm always a little bit sceptical about the data which is presented to us by politicians, because as you know you can adapt data, you can change it, you can make it look like there's a certain trend in in the economy when it, when in fact it's not really the case. Um, anyway, ultimately, it seems that this election is a question of values. It's all about values, but we'll come back to that later on, I think. Um, so how are we doing here? Let's just have a 43-minute check at this point. It's about 43, 44 minutes into the podcast. How are you? Are you okay? This is long, isn't it? It's a long episode, but I hope that you're keeping up. I hope that you're locked in to this. Um, I, w- I wonder how many of you will, are, are going to stick it out until the end of this episode. If you do, you shall be rewarded with knowledge. Okay, Um, so the most recent government um, is David Cameron, Prime Minister from the Conservatives, and Nick Clegg, Deputy Prime Minister uh, from the Lib Dems. So that's Conservatives and Lib Dems together with austerity measures, their main economic policy. Okay, now let's have a look at uh, the Scottish National Party, because they they come into this story in a pretty big way. All right. So then, of course, last year, 2014, we had the high profile Scottish independence referendum Um, as part of a deal agreed by David Cameron sometime before the Scottish were given the choice to be in or out of the UK. All of the citizens of Scotland had the opportunity to vote in or vote out of the UK. I did a podcast about this as well, which you may have listened to episode 219. Um, and uh, I probably did it just under a year ago, and it was generally very well received by my listeners. Um, and uh, lots of people commented on the episode, and I got lots of positive feedback. So I thought that I could kind of do a similar thing with the election in this episode. So I hope that those people who enjoyed the Scottish referendum episode are getting a similar uh, thing with this one. Um, So with the referendum, there were two camps or two campaigns. Uh, The Yes Scotland campaign for independence and the Better Together campaign, which was against independence. Uh, Basically, um, the Scottish National Party led the Yes Scotland, uh, the independence campaign, and all of the other leaders from, you know, from the England-based, mainly England-based 
parties like the Ed Miliband from the Labour Party, David Cameron from the Conservatives and Nick Clegg from the um, Liberal Democrats. They they uh, were part of the um, the Better Together campaign against independence. Um, in the end, um, Scotland uh, voted to uh, stay in the United Kingdom. So 55% of people voted no for independence. 45% of people voted yes for independence. So Scotland stayed in the union. Um, part of the reason that people voted no, um, I imagine, uh, was because it was still a pretty good option. I mean, no was still a pretty good option for them as well, because all of the MPs from England, Labour, Liberal, Conservative, they all promised to give Scotland even more devolved powers uh, as long as they stayed in the union. OK, so basically, um, you know, the, other, the the no campaign said, look, we'll give you more power. We'll give you more. Pa- we'll give you anything. All right. Just please don't leave us. OK, so the, in fact, the campaign, even though the referendum was a no, the campaign was a huge advert, a really great advert for Scottish political interests in the UK. It was such a great advert that the SNP have since attracted loads and loads and loads of support in Scotland. It seems that, you know, most of Scotland is behind the Scottish National Party. All of that campaigning for Scottish rights has been wonderfully helpful for Nicola Sturgeon, who is the leader of the Scottish National Party. And now the SNP are probably going to win a landslide victory in their constituencies in Scotland, stealing a lot of seats that usually go to Labour. Okay, so Labour are going to lose a lot of seats in Scotland and those seats are going to be transferred to the Scottish National Party. And we expect about 40 to 50 extra Scottish MPs are probably going to arrive in Westminster. So how is that going to affect politics in the United Kingdom when suddenly we have uh, a, a much bigger presence of Scottish MPs who are really focusing on Scottish interests, uh, starting to dictate the laws that affect the whole of the, the UK. All right. Um, some uh, some newspapers in the UK, like particularly sort of fairly right wing ones, uh, English ones like The Telegraph or The Daily Mail, are sort of talking about this in fairly dramatic terms, saying that Scotland is going to hold the UK to ransom, as if Scotland will kidnap the UK's politics and make, you know, certain unreasonable demands. Um, I wonder, I wonder what will happen. The, The Scots will probably expect to get certain concessions, certain things that they desperately want. Uh, which they haven't had for a number of years. Um, um, But will the Scottish um, act in a way that is against the interests of England as a whole? I wonder. We'll only have to, you know, we can only see. Time will tell. Um, So now the Tories are in government. They're pushing spending cuts and they're being accused of just looking after their rich friends in the banking industry the banking industry there who appear to have got uh, have gotten away with losing or stealing all of our money, by the way. Uh, so the Conservatives are there protecting uh, their spending cuts and their, their, their you know, friendship with the financial sector. The Liberal Democrats have been supporting them, but also trying to keep it balanced and trying to stop the Conservatives from going too far. The SNP have been getting loads and loads of support in Scotland. But what about Labour? What's the story there with Labour? Let's look at the context of the Labour Party. Okay, so um, what colour is the Labour Party? Do you know? 
Of course, it's red. Of course it is. Red is always the colour associated with the Labour movement. Um, so Labour Party, after losing out in the last election, they changed their leader. So uh, Gordon Brown was gone. Uh, and there was suddenly a race for leadership of the Labour Party. And it ended up um, it ended up being uh, between um, two brothers, okay? Uh, two brother, two brothers, no, two brothers, Ed Miliband and David Miliband. Steve Miliband wasn't involved. Um, Steve Miliband was too busy producing classic uh, uh, sort of uh, easy listening rock music from the 70s. That was a joke, ladies and gentlemen. One solitary, badly written joke, which I improvised just on the spur of the moment. I'll explain it to you. I've got no shame. I'll explain it to you. Steve Miller Band. Have you ever heard of them? Steve Miller Band. They were a group from the 70s. They did, you know, hits like this one. Some people call me the space cowboy. Right, that's the Steve Miller Band. Right, they're nothing to do with this. No, we're talking about Ed Miller Band and David Miliband, and they, 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 these are not two competing rock groups from the 70s. No, Miliband, it's spelled M-I-L... Uh, how do you spell it? Miliband. M-I-L-I-B-A-N-D. That's their surname, Miliband. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Ed Miliband and David Miliband were the two brothers who competed for the role of leader of the Labour Party. In the end, Ed was the one who won. But he had to stab his brother in the back to do it. Not literally. I mean, he didn't actually murder his brother. It's, I mean, it's not like ancient Rome or something or Game of Thrones. No. Um, so he didn't actually stab him in the back. But, so, you know, that's just a figure of speech. Basically, he got ruthless and he undermined his brother's campaign um, and, and sort of used fairly ruthless political tactics in order to make sure that his brother lost and he won. Uh, you know, he made friends with key Labour supporters and he pushed a more traditional left-wing agenda. In the end, Ed Miliband was the one who became the new Labour leader. Uh, the th- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.